Coming to you from the Sports Reviewers Spirituality Library in here in Verona, Wisconsin. And uh, another 80 degree night, 80 degree during the day, and there's a lot of swimming going on down by me. So uh, if you guys hear some screeching, just, just be alarmed. Alright, so what we have is I'm going to be reading out of. Closer, Major League players reveal the inside pitch on saving the game. And it's cool little bios. And uh, I've got, I got some picked out here that I think will be uh, people will like. First one is on page uh, 69 of this book. Dan Quisenberry, Kansas City Royals. Quisenberry pitched for 12 years in the Major Leagues, although he pitched for the Cardinals and Giants at the end of his career. 
He was primarily known as a Kansas City Royal. Quisenberry, or Quiz, as he was called, was born on February 7, 1953, Santa Monica, California. He received very little interest from Pro Scouts in high school. So he went on to Chicago. I'm sorry, she went on to the Orange Crow Coast College for two years, 1971 to 73, where he threw a school record 254 and two-thirds innings. Following OCC, he attended University of Laverne and was finally signed by the Royals as an amateur free agent on June 7, 1975. By his own admission, Quisenberry thought of himself as a marginal player at best. So just being signed by a big league team was an accomplishment. Scope didn't think he had the stuff to be a dominating pitcher in the majors. So he went straight to the bullpen. After four years in the main minor leagues, the marginal player made his major league debut on July 8, 1979 against the Chicago White Sox, pitching the final two and two-thirds innings along just two hits in the Royals' 42 loss. Quisenberry, Quisenberry pitched 32 games for the Royals his first year, but everything turned around the following spring when Jim Fry suggested that he throw, that he throw sidearm or some Marine style like Kent Ticaldi. Once he claimed his style, his career took off. The beloved closer for the Kansas City Royals led the American League in saves in 1980 and from 1982 to 1985. He enjoyed a then-record 45-save season in 1983. He led the American League in games in 1980, 83, and 85. And he led the American League in games finished and pitched in four consecutive, I'm sorry, and pitched in four full seasons, including 1980, when the Royals lost the World Series to the Phillies. In 1985, when the Kansas City won the World Series over the Cardinals. Of his 244 career saves, all but six came with the Royals. Cousinberry was inducted into the Royals Hall of Fame in 1998. The prior December, just a few months before his induction, Quisenberry had been diagnosed with a very aggressive cancerous brain tumor. September 30, 1998, he passed away. John Lawson was a catcher for the Royals from 76 to 85. Following his retirement as manager at the Omaha Royals, Kansas City's AAA affiliate. August 28, 1987. He was promoted to manage the big league team, which he did until early in the 1991 season. I had a unique pleasure of playing with and managing Dan Quisenberry for about 10 years, said Wathen. Dan was a good friend as soon as he came to the team in 1979. As a catcher, what surprised me the most was the fact that Dan never really threw the ball more than 84 miles an hour. Then he had this unusual way of throwing the ball with his quirky delivery. You would think to yourself, how is this guy ever going to get one out? How is this guy ever going to get out a major league batter? Walton said with a, with a laugh, 
But then, after you saw him pitch, you quickly said, wow, was I wrong. Especially after you watched all that movement on the ball and how it sunk. And then to which, how deceptive he was with the delivery. You realize that this guy was going to be a great major league pitcher. And who would have ever imagined that this guy was going to be part of the Royals' history the way he was? I just want to say something quick. You know what? I know know major league pitchers are supposed to be throwing the ball above 90 for a fastball. And especially in today's world, because those, those radar guns are... Those radar guns are jacked. You know, he's throwing the ball at 104 miles per hour. If they're throwing 104, good for them. But the reality is, is that I don't think, I think it's pretty hard to throw 104 miles an hour. And who's ever throwing at 104 miles an hour is getting a jacked up uh, speed gun. So, you know, back in the day, you know, and when Quisenberry was there, he was throwing. He was throwing the ball at about. They say he's throwing the ball in the low eighties or something. Comes off today, he'd probably be blowing about ninety miles an hour. <laughs> That's just the way it is today, you know. I. I don't get into the miles per hour too much anymore, but. But what I do like to see is, a picture come in whose stuff is excellent. He can spot it. He's only, you know, and he doesn't throw very hard. Maybe he's throwing 87, 88 miles per hour, but he can still get big league batters out. You come in throwing a straight line fastball at 104, just got to get around on it. Just got to be able to get around to the pitch. That's all. And if you hit it right, that thing is going to go a long ways. So, Walter went on. He was always good with those one or two liners. I remember him saying after one game he gave up a home run to Reggie Jackson. The ball is still is still burning its way in St. Louis. Then he said, "I think I have a delivery in my fall today." Dan was Dan was such a great team player. He cared about. He cared about every guy out there, and needless to say, he was a great leader. I remember, I remember we went out to dinner, and us and our wives one day shortly before the uh, he passed away. I said to him, "Did you ever wonder why this happened to you?" And then he said back to me, "Why not? Why shouldn't it be me?" He accepted the fate better than anyone I ever met. He was remarkable, Steve Farr. Is a right-handed pitcher who signed with the Kansas City in 1985. After just one year in the majors, he joined the, the Royals as Quisenberry's setup man and became the new Royals. Then he became the new Royals closer when Quisenberry moved on. 
I learned a lot from Dan Quisenberry and several of the guys on the Royals pitching staff so far. I really admired how they got hitters out, especially Dan. I thought he was a great guy. He was never flashy. He was just a down-to-earth kind of guy. I kind of molded my own pitching style and my own approach to the game to resemble Dan Quisenberry. It was amazing how many games, how many ground balls he got. Quisenberry was like clockwork, and I don't ever remember anyone ever hitting a ball into the outfield on him. Bar Bar continued. Dan Quisenberry was such a professional, and he was always willing to share his knowledge with the younger players. I remember him coming up to me at one time when we were in New York and saying to me, Hey, what are you doing today? I said, I don't know. So he said, I'm going to take you to a Broadway show. And he did. He also took me to my first German restaurant in Kansas City. But he was like that. And I was just a rookie. And he certainly didn't have to do all that with just a rookie. But he did that to everyone. The fans just loved Dan, added Wathen. I still remember how he used to have the fans... I used to drown the fans in the uh, general admission seats in right field near the bullpen in Kansas City. The fans loved it. And most of the time, they were begging to get wet on those really hot days. I guess Dan took the fireman description for the closer, literally. Like every pitcher, Quisenberry had his own routine before entering a ball game. Although his was a little unusual, for the first few innings of every game, we should be drawn. We should be down in the bullpen. We would get a copy of that day's Kansas City paper and do the jumbo crossword puzzle with Watson explained with a laugh. Dan was not like the rest of the closers. He was always down in the bullpen at the start of every game. Dan was there the whole game. Once the fifth inning could come around, he would then start getting ready. He first he first would visit the bathroom and then do his business. And then he would finish and be ready to go in, close out the game. From that point on, he was completely focused on the game. Walton explained the importance of Quisenberry to his teammates. Dan came in, we used to say, lights out. There's an old saying, does confidence breed success or does success breed confidence? Once Dan became our closer, it was pretty much new as a team that this game was over. We knew he was going to lock it up, lock it down, especially during the 1980 season. He was awesome. Boy, Herzog and the rest of the team had such a tremendous confidence in him. It was unbelievable. He wasn't that traditional closer that was known for the big strikeout. But neither he, but rather he would knew was good. Whether he knew 
Well, he was going to get you with a ground ball or a double play grounder. Dan was always a two or three inning save guy, said Wathen. He was a workhorse for us. Think about some of those. Think about some of those games he was involved in, especially given all of these intense rivalries against the Yankees. That is why it is so tough to compare the cousin berries and the goose gossages to the closers of today, who are just the one-inning guys. Cousinberry's greatest moment on the mound most likely came in 1980 during the American League Championship Series against the Yankees. Probably was striking out Willie Randolph during the game and won the, ni- won the 1980 playoffs against the Yankees said Waltham. That was such a great victory for the organization considering we lost to the Yankees in the playoffs in 76, 77, and 78. Beating the Yankees that year was like winning the World Series for us, and I'm not looking to make not looking to make any excuses. But that is why many of us believe we had a little letdown in the World Series against the Phillies. Being able to get past the big bad Yankees was the ultimate. I remember I was playing right field when Dan got the last out and when I was starting to run into the infield to celebrate. It was the only it was the only time in my career that I had tears in my eyes rolling down my cheek. It was an emotional it was so emotional for us to beat the Yankees that year. And I knew it was pretty special for Dan. Think about Quisenberry. Was that he was not a one inning one inning relief guy? That's for sure. And he was not a jackass out of the mound either. What I'm referring to is staring down the batters, um, talking trash. And, you know, it's just it's just ridiculous what goes on these days. You know, and the other thing, too, is I don't think he was throwing at too many people either back then. He might have hit a few batters because he's trying to work inside, but he was definitely not going to throw at somebody. Why? His pitches were 80 miles an hour. <laughs> but, you know, even in, today, even in today's baseball world, you know, you, you still see these guys, they get... You know, they get, they get so jacked up. It's great to get that jacked up, but reality is, is that sometimes it might hurt your performance. Um, yeah, Quisenberry, everybody's got their, I should say this, everybody has their own way of doing things. And what, what matters the most is how you do something compared to how you do not do something. Is the difference between? It was the difference between zero. There's no difference. Everybody's different. You know that's the thing. That's what makes it. A, everybody's different. Nobody's similar. You know, 
Everybody's got a great, not everybody has a great changeup. Not everybody has a great fastball. Not everybody has a good curveball. You know, it's just the way it is. But it's how you carry yourself and how you prepare, prepare and how you uh, prepare for your, prepare for your uh, closing role, closing out the game. I just wanted to say that. I really, I really like Dan Quisenberry. I really liked him my whole, uh, well, you know, I grew up on him, so. Actually, he grew up on me. <laughs> but no, he, he was a, he was a fun guy to watch. He was a fun guy to listen to, uh, to listen to when he did the interviews and stuff like that. And, uh, he's a, he's a true character of class. And it seemed like the Royals had a lot of those good players. All right, Kent to Colby, 1974 to 1989. Kent to Colby was sidearmed. Right-handed pitcher, played in the major leagues for 16 years for the Pirates, Phillies, and Reds. Played for, he played uh, 74 to 1989 was his... Uh, For the years that he played, and he pitched during transitional era of the closer before it became the norm to have a closer pitch just the final inning. Jacoby was born on March 5, 1947, in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was a big Reds fan growing up, but I did, I did like watching Don Drysdale because he too was a side armor like I was at an early age. Says a lanky reliever. Later on, I actually got to know him when he spent a few years helping me with the Expos. And that is when I really, really liked him. Jacoby went to Catholic High School where he made a baseball team his freshman year and what was cut his sophomore season. He worked hard, made the varsity team in his junior and senior years. After high school, he went to on uh, to Marietta College, where he played baseball from 1966 to 1969. He recorded the fifth lowest ERA, .94, school's history during his senior year, and was elected to the All Ohio Athletic Conference second team. Although Jacoby was not selected in the Major League Draft, he was invited to a trial camp at Forbes Field, home of the Pirates, July 16, 1969, and was signed by the Pirates on the spot. Two days later, he began his professional career for the Geneva Pirates. following season, he was moved into a relief role, and he never looked back. 1972, he began to experiment with what would be his traditional sidearm delivery. He mimicked, he mimicked Ted Abernathy, whom he had watched in Cincinnati, where he was growing up. 1973, he had mastered the delivery and ended up leading the Eastern League with 12 wins. Jacoby made his Major League debut on March 
from May 20th, 1974, when he pitched the final inning of the Pirates' 4-2 loss in Montreal. The 77th season was the most impactful on Colby's career. When the Pirates hired a new manager, Chuck Tanner, looking back, Colby recalled, Chuck Tanner really knew me better than anyone. He was also the only guy I could ever think of that could give me the chance to pitch as much as I did. No other manager will let someone six feet four, 155 pounds pitch 90 games in a year. No one else would have done that. But Tanner was actually the manager I needed to have and effective and could as much as I could for my team and for myself. Chuck was great at thinking out my Chuck was great at thinking out my thinking out of the box. Alright, I gotta go into something here too. You know looking at his weight. I know he's skinny, but he's probably shining a flashlight on him, and the flashlight you go right through him. And the thing is, is that, you know, he's, he's pitching, he pushed 90 games. And yet, we have to remember, too, is like 90 games, it's like, it's not like a one inning close or nothing like that. Most of the time, it's about two or three innings back then. This guy is just incredible. For his uh, body type, but also for his uh, competitive nature. And to go in and, uh, you know, still have strength left to be able to get hitters out. I really had a great rapport with Chuck Tanner. He went on and... Therefore, I pretty much knew when I was going to going to pitch, especially if I wanted a long period of time without pitching, like two or three days. He found a way to get me in the game, to get some work. There was also streaks in my career that I can remember. I pitched one inning, I pitched one time nine days in a row. And during that same streak, I pitched 19 out of 20 days. Unbelievable. It was the, also 1977 when the White Sox traded Goose Gossage to the Pirates to be the new closer. Colby spent the season setting him up. In 77, I was pitching for Pittsburgh, and the, rook, and the record for a right-handed pitcher was, from appearances was 71 games, and we were both entering the final game of the year, to call me recalled. Both Goose and I were tied for the 71 games leading into that final season, or final game. I ended up pitching the eighth inning, and Goose pitched the ninth inning. Game finished. We went into the clubhouse, and we both finished the year with a 72 games. Goose came up to me and said, wow, we both set the new Pirates team record for appearances. I looked at him and said, Goose, you got to remember one thing. I pitched the eighth inning, you pitched the ninth inning. I set the record, 
And you're tied, you're tied to the record. One of the few times anyone would one-up Goose. I love playing, I love playing with Goose, even though our personalities were so different, he continued. But they were this thing, they were the things that go on in a professional and in a professional clubhouse. I also remember these guys back then used to rib me all the time. But again, this is what it was all about, being in a locker room. You learn to survive. If those same guys that would rib me would always show the greatest respect to me when it was my time to get out there on the mound. Keeping their respect was a great motivator for me. And I all... And I always wanted to do my first, to do my best for them and the team. The Colby was not a great, was not a great runner. Usually, actually played in left field for one out in 1979. I remember Chuck Tanner coming out to the mound one day and saying, "I'm putting you in left field," and then. Then I said, are you nuts? Tanner replied, no, I am putting in left field for the next batter, Daryl Evans. Then this way I can put you back on the mound for the next batters. This way I don't have to take any, I don't have to take you out. I thought he was crazy. The gregarious pitcher continued. I also remember Chuck Tanner coming out a few times and saying, you're pitching pretty well and that and this and that. And then he talked to me about the situation and what to expect. Well, you've got Luzinski and Schmidt coming up. I think we should do this. I, I then say to Chuck, just have someone fill up my Fill up my beer mug and have and have it sit waiting on my chair in the clubhouse. I used to have this thirty-one ounce beer beer stand in my locker, and sure enough, the cold beer would be waiting for me. I said it that way to Chuck because I didn't want I didn't want him to worry about me or the situation. Most of the time. It would work out, and sometimes the beer would be, sometimes the beer would be warm. I remember Tanner would always come, would always reply back to me. What am I going to do with you? To call me, explain how difficult the, the sale of the closer was in his era. Over the over the years, the role of the closer has evolved. The closer in our day still worked two or three innings. Therefore, my job as a closer started in the seventh inning, he said. So I knew I'd, I'd see action if, if we were up three runs or down like two. I wasn't in games only when we were, when we were ahead 
my job as the closer was sometimes to stop the bleeding or keep it close for the team so we could come back up and we did come back come back quite a bit given tremendous talent we had on our team during those years I remember I was 10 and 1 in 77 I still don't remember how I only lost that one game yet the more I worked the better I am if I went more than two days I knew I didn't have the right I knew I didn't have the my best stuff eventually I became the closer after Goose moved on. Prior to that, I would pitch the game, and Goose would pitch the ninth. To call me play in the NL Championship Series of 1975, the Pirates beat the Reds in that series, but they were they were they were not to be denied in 1979. as the Pirates became world champions that year with a theme song of We Are Family. The rubber band man, as Jacoby was being called, as he created the game, was on the mound for the final out of that series. The greatest moment... Alright. The greatest moment of his career... By then, I had learned so much that it it prepared me for the for the moment. Tell Colby shared. 1980 All Star. The 1980 All Star never led the league in saves, although he he finished second twice in '78 and '79. 31 saves each year. Jacoby did did lead the National League in games played four times, 1978 to 1980 All-Star never led the league in saves, although he finished twice, 1978-1979, with 31 saves each year. Jacoby did lead the NL in games played four times, 1978, 1979, 1982, and 1987. And games finished three times in 1978-79. In 1983, his 90 games in 1987 with the Phillies still stands as a club record. What separates us closers is really what connects us to call me philosophize. We all have different person we all have different personalities and there is no mold for us. But what connects us is that we can all pitch the ninth thing. We can get it done. It is that bond that connects us all. 
Yeah, every pitcher who might have a tremendous talent may not be able to pitch that ninth inning. It is likely the ability to handle the ninth inning. Strains of, I'm sorry. It is likely that the ability to handle the mental strains of the game that makes the successful closer. The physical part of the game was never a problem for me yet. I could physically throw a lot, a lot of innings, at least for me. The mental part was more prominent to me. As three, time went by, I learned so much about what my body was capable of doing. For example, my arms, my arm was always, they'd always tired. But that is, that is how I picked, how I wanted it to be. One of those biggest, one of the biggest reasons I learned in this game was knowing that difference between a stiff arm and a sore arm. Kobe explained. So, if your arm is, st- arm is stiff, then you don't want to pitch. Otherwise, if you continue, it would, it could be a lead to be damaged, lead to be a damaged arm. And at that point, I knew I needed to give it a break. If it was a, sh- if it was sore. Then I learned that I would to do to get through it and real pitch. Jacoby was proud to pitch for the Pirates, a team with rich history. He then often mentioned that some cities have had a greatest history, have a greater history. When it came to the closer role, he explained. In a city like Pittsburgh, it seemed like a like it had a highest bar, higher bar, when it came to the uh, closer role, primarily as locate, primarily as prim- primarily because it had such a one tremendous history when it came to the to the role. For example, I got there. We had started the role in Cincinnati, or in the city of Pittsburgh, and the Pirates had a great, great tradition and roles of the closer. Jacoby ended his career in 1989. He compiled 184 career saves. But his 1,050 games pitched were second only to Hoyt Wilhelm in 19... Hoyt Wilhelm's 1,070. He currently ranks ninth on all the... on the all-time list. But with the top 10 pitchers in the league, he called it. Jacoby also he currently ranks ninth on the all-time list. Back 
But of the top 10 pitchers in the list, he pitched the fewest years, 16. Jacoby also had also held the record for more appearances, strictly in relief, at the time of his retirement, he said. After all, three years of being in the middle of things, I, was, I wasn't enjoying myself being, I was not enjoying myself being on the fringe. 